0: Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duval Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words F***, mother, P*** Boy, boy j- Dumpster, Galloping Quit, C***, but in like a British way. And also, strangely, Cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show! Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duval Production Bunker, it's Derek Duval.
1: Hello, Duval Nation. Hello, hey everybody. Hi, thank you so much. Please, everyone sit, thank you. Hello, Duval Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duval Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Derek DeVall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash Derek Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to my last guest, Jonathan Dumas. What a great guest, and if you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 221, and we have a fantastic episode like I did for you today. We've on the show Anna Maria Pinna and Dave Sussman of the rock band Vajra. Anna Maria will be discussing how she got into the music, and will be taking us through the beginnings of the band, and Dave joins in to discuss the band's creative process, their albums, success, and more. This is an incredibly extensive look into the band, so I truly believe you will become a fan before the end of this episode. Let's not waste another second, Duval Nation. Please welcome to the show calling in today from their home in New York City, the creative minds behind the band Vajra, Anna Maria Pena, and Dave Sussman. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today?
2: Not bad. Cloudy, you know, typical fall in New York City.
1: All right. Getting Uh, cold. Getting cold? Yeah. So with the pandemic now winding down, how was it for the both of you to navigate the COVID-19 world?
2: Well, New York City was pretty crazy. We were right in the heart of everything. So it was scary. We were definitely freaked out. We didn't leave the house for a good portion of our time. We were in the throes of releasing the new uh, material, So we said to ourselves, what are we gonna do? And we decided to uh, shoot some videos. So we were very lucky because New York City was empty. So we were able to get a lot of different shots of Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge, for example, that was empty, Times Square that was empty. And we managed to shoot a handful of videos. So it was pretty cool in that sense. We kept up uh, creatively, not writing music, but with the videos because we do everything ourselves. My so goodness. we shoot, we edit, we do, we do it all, and it's a it's a, it's a shit ton of work, which gets Dave crazy. And it, crazy. the minute we finish, he he feels a sense of accomplishment, and he always says. Never again. <laughs> and then there we go, go with the next one. All in all, we, we were alchemists that turned the shithole into, you know, gold by by creep by creation.
1: Okay. So every journey has a beginning. Anna Maria, where were you born and what it was it like to grow up there?
2: I was born at Vassar Hospital in Poughkeepsie, New York. It was a very typical suburban. Uh, U.S. household. Uh, my parents are school teachers. We didn't have much money when we grew up, but my parents are very wise with their cash flow, uh, so we were comfortable, but not uh, not not rich <laughs> by any means. Um, I couldn't get the Nikes until they were at TJ Maxx, or I guess there was no TJ Maxx until they were at Marshall's at discount price, you know, and that sort of thing. We shopped sales. Um, But I had a great childhood in the sense that I had, we lived on a small, quiet block. I was playing in the woods. I would go out at 9.30 in the morning and play all day. I don't know what we did. We, we rode bikes. We, we created leaf forts in the fall. It just, I, I had a lot of time to, to create, which was pretty cool. I also played instruments. I started playing violin at six and flute at eight and, and played through high school uh, the flute. And I also started dance when I was three. So, a creative, artistic kind of bent was already instilled in me despite the fact that my parents had zero creative <laughs> talents but my grandparents were musicians my great-grandfather played the clarinet here in New York City for for the Broadway shows so and my grandmother would walk around with her accordion all the time so it was it was in our family and it was just great I mean I had a good time yeah and then from there I uh, went to college in New York City at Fordham And worked a little bit and went to law school down at Tulane. Uh, Studied for a little bit in uh, Siena, Italy, uh, first semester, summer semester. So lived over there and did a couple of internships. Uh, So I lived in New York City and then lived in San Francisco and then went to live in India. Um, Thereafter, I spent five years living in India. So there's my general
1: background. (laughs) What are some of your so, favorite memories from Fordham?
2: From Fordham. I remember getting, and this is probably going to date me, but I remember getting a CD of a band that turned my world around. And that was Alice and Shane's Dirt. And I played that thing over and over and over. And over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> and um it was um it was life-changing. It was life-changing
1: for me. I took my wife to see Allison Chains for the very first time. She had never seen them before three weeks ago.
2: Ah, uh, uh, how was it? She,
1: well, I've seen them many times. I saw in fact I saw them in nineteen ninety one. Uh and what have you. And uh, I took my dad. My dad hated the show, but I went and I loved it. But um, I took my wife to see them first time. She thought it was great. She knew a lot more songs than she thought she knew. Granted, fair play to her. But she had a great time. I loved them. I've seen them many, many times. But, uh, you know, Jerry sounds great and what have you. Will, William sounds great and what have you. It was, it was a great show. Great show. Yeah. They're
2: just, uh, just Still amazing. Kicking. Still kicking. Yeah. I mean, Jerry's Jerry's so cool. And yeah. so talented, you know what he does.
3: It's, uh, it's, it's just awesome.
1: I will never forget though seeing Lane. The, uh, I mean, 1991, the fairgrounds here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and seeing Lane. I mean, it was like there's no words to describe it. If you, if you could see what I'm seeing in my brain right now, you'd be like, wow, that was that was an experience.
2: I can imagine. I, I mean, as, this is gonna sound pretty crazy, but I cried when he died. I was like. I lost it. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, (laughs) this is ridiculous. I don't know him personally. He just had that much of an impact on me that I felt a deep connection.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. What
1: brought you to Juilliard?
2: I was lawyering and I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I felt like I was spending the best years of my life sitting under artificial light and breathing recycled air. And so I would work by day, and then at night I would go to Juilliard. And I knew I wanted to pursue music, and so I said, "Well, you've not been playing." To myself, I said, "So why don't uh, why don't you go for school? Go go for some schooling. Get back in the groove, and then you'll start creating." Which is exactly what I did. I, I studied composition and and there, thereafter is what was the birth of basically the band the very first uh songs came from from that experience so pleroma is a combination of learning uh, of co- it's a combination of what i learned there and of course you know what i had already known musically but then also the infu- it also had the infusion of living in india and in the classical hindustani uh, music which influenced the rhythms and uh some of the tones and choices musically
1: Hmm. is Juilliard where you decided to become a musician full-time
2: i think i decided probably beforehand but didn't take the plunge until it might have been a year or two after that um i had to pay off some student loans and i wanted to be smart about things so i didn't want to have the burden of of debt um, which would put me in a fight-or-flight kind of position so that my creation, I feel, wouldn't get the right due. So I wanted to make sure I was in a place where I could just focus only on music. And so um, at the point when Juilliard was happening, it was about tying up loose ends and cleaning up my my life here and so I can move on to the next phase.
3: Right.
1: Which brings us to the next phase of this interview. How did Vajra come to be?
2: A few things. So, uh, there's a few things to say about that. So, Vajra is Tibetan Buddhist and Hindu uh, or Hindi for the thunderbolt or the diamond. So, it's that which breaks through everything. And I had traveled through Tibet and Nepal and I picked up this amulet and I had no idea what the hell its design was, but I was drawn to it. And I brought it home and I did some research and it was this double Vajra set in a mandala. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And around that time, I had some. So I was doing a lot of uh, self work, and like this was all around like the time where I'm telling you I'm discovering what I want to really do for the rest of my life, and all of this. And I had some crazy dreams, and one of the dreams basically was of this, the ultimate shape of the universe, the ultimate truth of the universe, manifested in a symbol that I could understand. And so. It's what the Vajra is. And so um, when I was searching for names for the band later on, um, I had a a list of all these different names and, and I, you know, they were all cool, but they just didn't really, they weren't really grounded or rooted in something special for me. So I just said to myself, it just all comes down to Vajra. This project is not about just just playing and sitting on an ego level, superficial level. It's about really connecting to spirit and being a conduit for things to wash through me or flow through me. And to me, that's what Vajra is. So that's how the name came to be. The music, on the other hand, was predominantly written in India when I was living there and I wrote the demos there. I joke around, but it's actually true that I would write a lot in my bedroom because it was the only room I had AC in my apartment. So so I, I, I would set up a home studio and I just wrote the demo there. And then I got in touch with a friend of mine, Blake Fleming, who was the original drummer for the Mars Volta. And I said, Blake, you know, do you want to play drums on this? And he's like, ah, let me hear it first. And so I was like, all right oh shit. <laughs> you know? And he's like, this is great. I'd love to do it. So I was like, ching. All right. So um, I kind of recorded it unconventionally uh, where I had this demo and I was like, okay, let's just record the drums first based on what I had there. And then I'll um, tweak the other instrumentation after we get that settled. Cause I didn't have a band. It was just a studio project. And so we recorded the drums, and then I found a bassist, Doug Wright, who um, was playing in a local band here. And after he was in the band Vajra, uh, he went on to play with Dolly Parton. And I'm not sure where he is now, but like this guy is super talented yeah, and awesome.
3: Somewhere in Salt Lake
2: City. He might be. I uh, he might be. So yeah, that's where he's from originally. So um, he lay down the bass and then it was okay, who am I going to find to play guitar? Because the guitar is not, it's not a guitar driven band. It's color, it's instrument, it's instrumental, it's it's flow, it's um, it's um, texture. So, uh, you know, a lot of guitarists just want to learn it. And I was like, that's not what this band's about. So, and that's not what these guitar parts are about. So um, I, spoke to a friend of mine who I'd grown up with in Poughkeepsie. And he's like, you got to get in touch with Will Dahl, Will Dahl, Will Dahl. And I'm like, who is Will Dahl? Well, Will Dahl is from uh, where I grew up in Poughkeepsie. And he was part of the hardcore scene. And he could just play like just all this different stuff heavily into jazz. And he was perfect. So he used to play with
3: Harley Harley
2: Flanagan, Flanagan, yeah, from Harley's War. And so I asked him if he wanted to to play the guitar on it. He said, sure. And he helped flesh out some of the guitar parts because, believe it or not, that was the most difficult thing for me because I had keyboard parts and I had some guitar parts, but not really much and I was I I wasn't hearing so much of the guitar because I had heard the keyboards in my head for so long and the guitar parts that I had had already there so he really helped to flesh some of that stuff out and he we tracked the guitar no one had any idea what it was going to sound like and when we were done I sent it off oh well vocals let me take a step back I got in touch with Sylvia Massey who did Tool, System of Down, Johnny Cash, you know. And I said, can, I asked her if she could mix it because I was producing this album myself. Um, so I asked her if she would mix it, she said yes. And I said, okay, I've recorded everything. i produced everything up until now. I have my lyrics, I have my vocal melodies, all this stuff. But I'm having difficulty tracking my vocals, deciding which vocal take is a good take because I'm too close to it. So can you help me? at least produce these vocals, selecting the vocal tracks that are the best and, you know, comping stuff and all that stuff. And she said, yes. So I went to Weed, California, cause that's where she was. And we did that there. And then I went down to LA and mastered with Tom Baker. And then I sent it to the guys and I'm like, here it is. What do you think? And they're like, holy shit, this came out cool. And I was like, yeah. Thankfully. So I said, like, do you want to play some shows? So we started playing a few shows and Blake was six hours away in Oneonta. He'd just gotten married and was just having a kid. So he's like, listen, I can do a few shows here and there, but I can't go touring. And I was really wanted to start touring. So Blake stepped out and his protege, a student that he taught at Oneonta took over for a little bit. And then um, we just started touring from there. And we've had lineup changes since then. And here we are. Right.
1: Who are your musical inspirations? Who 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 does the band look up to for, for music inspiration?
2: Huge inspiration is Tool, Perfect Circle, massive inspiration. But, I mean, there's Joni Mitchell, there's Tori Amos, there's uh, classical Hindustani artists, there's Sisters of Mercy, there's, I mean led zeppelin when we talk about the uh, the indian sounding stuff you know kashmir um there's black sabbath with the with the you know tr- tritones and stuff like that there's it's it's a lot of different influences uh there's it's michael jackson it's madonna it's um pop artists it's all over the place uh Alice in chains we, we talked about huge inspiration it's just that i have taken in my head different pieces of what i've heard through my lifetime and that could be a leaf falling from the sky and the way that the way i think that sounds when it falls down to the ground it's everything there's there's the gregorian chanting that's also something that's inspired me so it's a lot of different things and i just kind of combine it all and do it the only way I know how to do it, which, you know, I don't really know what that is. It's just who I am. I'll sit there at the keyboard and just dick around and something comes and that's what becomes a song. That's how I do it. Or I'll sit with the guitar or the bass and it it just creates, and I'm not a great player. I'm just know enough to be able to write the licks. And then I start to layer things in my head. And then I talk to my musicians and say, how can we flesh this out even more? Because you guys are the pros that can play really well. And and this is the vibe. And this is the transition that I was thinking of. And uh, this is the beat, you know, this is the uh, drum rhythm here, but I want a counterpoint or, a you know, a, a different rhythm with the guitar here. So that's kind of how I talk about it. I also see colors and shapes so I, I move a lot to it and, and when a song is when I think a song is done, I will put it on and just close my eyes and dance. If I can't dance to it, it's not something's wrong. So that's a test that I do all the time to to uh to see if it's finished.
3: To, synesthesia? It,
2: to, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I had no idea I had it until people were like, You've got synesthesia. I'm like, what is that? You know. Yeah. But yeah, and I think it I really think it's because I started off dancing at such an early age because everything has a movement to it. Every sound has a movement. And I think that that was my I think I was dancing before I could speak properly. Hmm. So I think that's why, but I don't I don't know for sure.
1: Hmm. Well, that's a question for the both of you. You know, it's like, you know, what is the musical writing and creative process like in the band exactly?
2: It's me mostly uh, at this point, but we're looking to change that up. I just come up with keyboard parts. It starts with a keyboard part or a guitar part or a bass line. And it, I will layer things and kind of demo some stuff out and then ask, you know, Dave, well, you know, what do you think of this? And we'll go through and sit through some parts. He'll spend, you know, whatever time he needs working out a part. And then he and I will collab and say, you know, okay, why don't we do this here? Why don't we change it up here? Why don't we add this arpeggiation here? Yeah. You know, that's kind of how it it works out. Yeah. yeah. And one of
4: the things that we've been doing with, with guys in the studio um, is she'll maybe start playing something on the keyboard and then we'll start playing with that which is a great way to, to to write with all of us and and we're we're sort of in in that headspace every now and then when we you know if we're not rehearsing for for shows or something like that
3: love is a battlefield was
2: a little different because the song was already there, obviously it's a cover. So we wanted to vajra it. So we, he, Dave and I were in my bedroom, my childhood bedroom in Poughkeepsie, and it was winter and we just started with the bass line. And I was playing the keyboard, I'm like something like this for the bass line. And then he started playing it on the bass and we fleshed it out. And then we went into rehearsal with Jimmy and, uh he started playing jimmy started just playing something and we just kind of morphed it together in the rehearsal space from there my vocal delivery pretty much stayed the same uh-huh. i don't think that really changed no no
4: didn't. The, the the vibe of the song changed we first started it kind of heavy yeah. and doomy, and then when we when we got down to it you know the 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 sort of like mellow verses into the heavy choruses really just sort of came out, you know, it, it just, it wanted that. And the mellow verses are, are a little less, uh, they're a little, I'm going to say they're, they're, how do I put it? It's, it's got a dark vibe to it. The the verses, you know, I, I, the, the, uh, you know, so that combined with the vocal of, the song which is a song everyone knows i think works great and uh,
1: what do you draw your lyrics from mostly
3: journal writing (laughs) Mm. uh
2: life um i usually am working something out in my head and it's something that i'm going through basically in my life and then i try to make it a little more interesting by adding a double entendre, a double meaning so that it could be this or it could be that, which will make it a little more global and expand it a little more. And that could be just a changing one word, you know, or uh, one, one phrase, one line, but it's, it takes me a long time to kind of flesh stuff out. It's not just a, a haphazard delivery. Every word matters to me. I don't approach it the way a lot of people do where they're just coming up with sounds, you know, like a Nirvana thing and words don't matter. Um, No, I'm completely the opposite uh, where every word matters because it's another meaning to the song. So you could listen, when I hear songs, I don't hear lyrics until maybe three or four times after I've heard the song. I hear uh, tones, like the voice is just another instrument. So to me, the melody is cool and very important, but then once you learn the meaning or the words, that could add a completely another layer to the song, which just makes it or breaks it for me. If the if then the the words are nonsense, it, it then it just stays the same of appreciation for the music, but it doesn't have that extra layer for me. Mm. So that's just how I think about it.
1: What do you both remember from recording that first album, Plimora?
2: Um, For Pleroma, it was very... Um, I was anal retentive about everything. I was reading Mix Magazine and how Joe Barisi used these certain two mics and the the the, the inches he, he put, you know, the, the distance between the microphone and the amps, and then he used this little lab splitter, and then he split the sound into three amps, and I was just like, I was... I was crazy in it because I had no idea what I was doing. So I had to learn from the masters. So I was just reading and watching anything I could. Um, I was completely winging it on instinct and just doing whatever I wanted. There um, There were no assumptions about anything of how it had to be. It was just how I wanted it to be. And I had no time constraints. I had no, I, had, I didn't have to list, answer to fans or talk to fans or, you know, be on the socials really that much, you know, I had zero distractions. I was in a great zone when I did that. I was living in India, so I was uh, extremely disciplined and, and, you know, five days a week I was writing and creating. And so it was a really beautiful time for me when I was there and when I was writing that, hmm. you know, towards the end, it got a little stressful because like I said, I was like, I don't know what, what might to use. I don't know. What, you know? So then I, we ended up recording a lot of things that were not used in the recording because I did not know what I was doing and, and it's very dense as well. So that was another, another thing. So, you know, as we progressed, in the writing now, up to now, I realized, okay, you can have extra stuff, but you don't need to get crazy with guitar parts.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nice. (laughs) How long did it take you to record that album?
2: A while. I probably started, uh, maybe 2010 or 2011, 2000 and then finished, I think i must have started in 2010 i think it took two years and it wasn't two years straight it was like i remember i mentioned you know record the drums first record then record you know wait find a bassist oh okay now you know rehearse with the bassist, go in and record it was kind of stop go stop go i it was really important for me to find the right people and i could find the right people we didn't have to tour we didn't have to do anything so i had enough time to do that but it was stop go for sure
1: hmm. what was the reaction to that album like
2: well we toured on that album for how many years
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah like we toured on that album for several years so the reaction was pretty positive and when we came out it you know i said i wanted to do female prog like met rock Prog metal and people were like, "What?" I'm like, "Female fronted," and they're they like, "This is like it's an old man's band, old man, old man stuff to do prog rock." And I was like, "Nah, you know, it's just I was influenced by Tool. I was like, I want to do something like this, but with female vocals, and no one was doing it. There were not." female fronted bands doing it when I first came out. And now we've got a lot of female fronted bands doing it, which is crazy. Um, but I feel like I was just in tune with something in the universe. And I mean, tool was a heavy influence and it was just, you know, tool just got bigger and bigger. So everything kind of shifted with, the. the way um, people saw that kind of music, and then of course Mashuga with Gent and all that kind of added to the fold. Yeah, I think it was it was received very well when it was when it came out, and it was different.
4: And there's still people discovering us that love this particular song from that album, or that particular song. We had a kid come to one of our shows a couple of weeks ago, who's you know, two of his favorite songs in the world are on Pleroma and we played them. Um, actually one is on Pluroma, one's on Akala but um, you know just to have people still discovering that album because it's not really discovered yet you know
1: Hmm. Speaking of which you just mentioned it tell my listeners about Akala
2: Akala is about so Akala is the first album in a trilogy of albums exploring consciousness and it, the, it's the first level. So it's the Sumerian wor- word for the underworld. It, it's darkness, it's ego, it's superficiality, it's, uh, it's all that. So um, the lyrics and the music, I tried to approach topics and approach um, sentiments or feelings that would ignite or touch upon those, those concepts. Whether or not I did it, I don't know, but (laughs) you know that's what I tried to do. And we worked with Sahaj Tikatine from RAW. He helped produce that album. And yeah, so Urkala is the first, and the second one will be coming out next year. And that's the second level of consciousness. And then the third, and we have the music's written. We're tweaking uh, some stuff in the studio now, like harmony vocals and stuff like that. And then, um, and it will also have, it's a second level of consciousness, but it's also learning from the masters. So that's all I'm going to say about it right now. And then the third one is some is, is the last level of consciousness, which will be something I think I'm anticipating very different. So we started casually writing that now, but we have to full on start that process uh, next year after the bulk of, you know, the initiate stuff goes, you know, goes full on, like we, we're going to be touring on the album and all of that. And then, you know, the machine, the release machine.
3: Okay. Okay.
1: Okay, Duval Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we'll be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Anna Maria Pinna and Dave Sussman of Vajra. May I should take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths, you know, that's right, Cluzo style. Out
5: with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good.
1: Pay attention to a few friends in my show and we will be right back. Hello, Duval Nation,
6: Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward, I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring the Derek DeBall Show. and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek DeVall
5: Show. We're Sam's Army and the Gates all here Sam's Army and the gates all here Sam's Army and the gang's all here For glory the cup and then to drink Oi, this is Chad from The Shame are listening
6: to The Derek Duvall Show You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com Or listen to it on almost all our streaming services We'll see you down the pub Cheers This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge.
0: This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in The Absinthe Rappé. Available wherever you prefer to buy your books.
3: Hi, this is Glenn. And
2: this is Sonia from Valley.
6: And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show.
2: Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy.
1: You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 221 of The Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the creative minds behind the band Vajra, Anna Maria Pinna and Dave Sussman. Let's talk about the celebrated video for the song Maya. How long did it take to shoot that video? Um,
4: that was the first one. Yeah, so I can talk a little about that. A lot of those scenes or all of it we did during COVID. So, so you got the Brooklyn Bridge empty. You got Times Square empty. When we did Times Square that night, it was it was a little bit like dark, desolate. And you can see in the video there's a few, you know, zombies just sitting around. And you know, it was we walked there and uh, no we actually we took the van we
3: took the van we were, You're right
4: we were parking a van a 15 I mean, passenger van in new york city
2: in midtown manhattan which is unheard of, unheard
4: of. <laughs> and uh and there was no parking rules in effect so we can just park anywhere
2: Yeah, it's great but but i have to take a step back and 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 start off with we bought a camera so we were like okay we don't have you know ten thousand dollars for a video we just we're funding everything ourselves
4: and there's no crew during COVID. and and
2: we have no crew and (laughs) yeah like and we're not like we just it's low budget like you know we've got to do this so we decided we're going to get a camera and we're going to do it ourselves and and we had done 3.14 ourselves using an iphone so um we were like "We, we can do this we know we can we can do this we got this so we bought this camera we're learning how to use this camera we're learning how to use the gimbal which was always crazy um and dave changed ecosystems from adobe into black magic because that's what came with the camera for free and we he we so we learned it all on the fly so maya is a big learning process on the fly yeah i had came up i came up with the concept for the video and the treatment and i wrote the treatment and Dave came in and also helped with the art direction on some of that. Jimmy did uh, some of the shots, uh, a lot of the dating scene shots, Brooklyn Bridge shot. um, And then some shots, sometimes Dave would do the shots. So it was like just three, a three person crew, the three of us. And so we starred and shot and edited it ourselves. So you can imagine how crazy we were when we did it and we used spots areas that are like our apartment we used you know the brooklyn bridge we used areas specifically selected that had some sort of fucked up history involved in them so for example the dating scene one of the dating scenes was done in the bloody angle which is a couple of blocks from us it's in Chinatown. It's a curved street, Doyer Street. And in the 1800s, it was one of the most dangerous streets in America. The Chinese gangs would war um, against each other and then they, the police, they would see the police coming up and then the police would have to turn the corner and that's when they all descended into the tunnels. So they would use hatchets and all kinds of crazy time. Another shot we did was a beach scene. And the beach scene is at a place called-
4: Dead Horse Bay.
2: Right. So Dead Horse Bay had a horse rendering facility there. So de- uh, small horse bones would wash up on the shore, still to this day. Yeah. And when they built the Belt Parkway, In the early 1900s, I can't remember. It 1953. Oh, was it it 53? Okay. So they they demolished all these homes and took all of that salvage and dumped it at Dead Horse Bay. Never capped it. It was a
3: landfill.
2: It was a landfill. And so now all of that, all these household items are washing up on the shore. From
3: 1950. From
2: 1950. And to top it off, It became a super fun site in maybe the 1990s because they decided they wanted to dump nuclear waste there. So, fucked up area. So, there was that. And then we also shot in Little Italy, um, right near where one of the mob bosses got shot in the head and killed. So, it was very important for me to use that, to use those areas in the video, not because anybody would even recognize or know, but because that energy was informing our choices in the moment when we shot there. Hmm. Um, And I thought that was very important.
1: For my listeners who have not seen this video yet, you know, what sort of themes were you trying to explore, you know, in this video?
2: It was loosely based on the on a on a story called the descent of Inanna. And that's a Sumerian uh story about a goddess named Inanna and her descent into the underworld and her return from the underworld. And so I morphed the story to a modern day, I adapted it to modern day. And so that's generally what what the story is. Okay. And so you have a goddess figure, you have an everyday person figure, and I'm also exploring male female relationships and perception of females and perception of of male male energy and uh and where we are with that. And I had gotten interested in that because I was thinking about why there's this imbalance between male and female energy and why the female energy is still not equal um, or treated equal around the world and why women are still persecuted, why women still have issues, why women are still paid 30% less to the dollar. It just doesn't make sense to me. Where did this come from? And I started looking, tracing a history, history, history. And I traced it all the way back to the Sumerian times when 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 civilizations started popping up and when the civilization started popping up their the cities became walled and you know agriculture was contained and people weren't you know, roaming, they were now there in a place where they were growing their own foods. People Then other peoples would come and attack the surpluses. And so then there needed to be a military or a a, a guard or a bunch of guards that would have to protect the city and protect the women, protect the children. And all of that now starts to make sense, right? We go through then medieval times into where we are now, and that mentality is still permeating what we do today. Um, so I tried to address some of that. And then with the name Urkala, I taught myself a tiny bit of cuneiform and learned how to spell it in cuneiform. That's the language. And because there was a first language in civilization came from that um, those people. And... I contacted um, one of the leading Assyriologists in the world. His name is Dr. Irving Finkel. He's out of the British Museum. And I said, listen, I've got to put this thing on an album. I need to know that my spelling is correct. Will you correct my spelling? And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And I'm like, jackpot so he corrected it i did have one syllable that was a little off he's like you know it's right but technically it's written like this and i was like okay cool so um that was an exciting piece of trivia that um that came to be and then my brother got me the game the royal game of Ur, and i still play this today and want to challenge dr finkel to a to a game but he's he's not accepted yet (laughs) Mm.
1: Were you both amazed at the reception had gotten with selections at numerous
4: film festivals and awards? Yes. You got?
2: Yes, completely. We were like,
4: what?
5: <laughs> really?
4: Being so close to it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know every microsecond of that video cause I edited over and over and over and, and all of the thing, all the challenges that we had, like, like for example, you know, that ending scene with the, you know the camera on a tripod we had no idea if everything was even going to be in the frame you know and it was one and done you you know we filmed it once we had one fire one one wedding ceremony you know one night that we were doing that so like yeah th- there there's i look at it and i see everything that is that was the challenge but then i try to f- think of okay now this is being played at some festival where nobody has any idea what they're about to see it starts off with this crazy dance between with, with her and this girl Erin like what the hell are we watching then it goes into the New York City scenes and then into this wedding scene I'd be like oh what the hell did I just watch <laughs> and you know that's fun for me you know think of it that way so yeah I was kind of surprised but I was also like I guess we made something a little crazy.
2: Yeah, so Erin's a performance artist and a Butoh dancer. She's amazing. She's a good friend of ours. So she choreographed that dance, and we did that in Brooklyn, not far from our rehearsal space. I filmed it. You filmed it.
4: It was, again, one and done. It was on the fly. It was, you know, I had one chance to film them. They weren't doing it again.
2: We actually had a different location planned and we couldn't do it because there were too many people that were starting to come around. So New York was starting to open up again. We shot that later. Uh, That wasn't one of the first shots that we had done. So that was challenging. That was very challenging. Yeah. 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 Hmm.
1: So you mentioned it very briefly, but let's talk about it. You talk about your latest single, the cover of the Pat Benatar classic, Love is a battlefield. What inspired you to cover this track?
2: We wanted to do a cover. We don't do any covers. Well, that's not true. We we do. We have performed "Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun." Ah, great for many years. Great, yeah, live. Yeah, I I love that.
1: I love that song.
2: So great, so great. So we had been. We have been performing that one song since 2012. I mean, like that will came up with that and then we've not performed any covers we said let's just let's just dabble with this let's let's experiment and and do a cover and so what will we do and i i we were well i warm up to that song so i warm up to a lot of different female vocalists and that was that song was one of the songs that i warm up to and then one it was during the winter i don't remember what when it was But it was during the winter and we were driving down from poughkeepsie down to the city and it came on the radio and i just started singing it and dave was like that's the song we're doing so i was like okay we
4: we were we were like we got to do some sort of like an old cover you know some some 80s ish but there was no like preconception of which one and if we're going to come out with a cover song
2: We had to vajrasize it. We knew we needed to vajrasize it. We just want to regurgitate what's there. Then what's the point of doing the cover? That's ridiculous to me. So, like, we we needed to have room for us to make it our own. So it couldn't be, like... I don't know. It couldn't be like an in this moment song. You know what I mean? It couldn't be like uh, you it couldn't know. Couldn't be like
4: a metal song unless unless you really like mellow it out or whatever. It had to be something that people recognized, but that we could change enough, but still have it recognizable. Because so like like she said, I I don't want to do a cover where we're just doing exactly what the what the original band did. That to me is just. Karaoke, about you
2: know. to listen to the <laughs> band sing it then, you know, and do it. So we knew that's what we were going to do then in that moment. We said, okay, let's make that commitment. And that's when we started working on that and pretty quickly it materialized yeah. it. You know, when you when it you're doing the right thing, because the song just tells you what it needs and it just works. And when we brought it into the studio to Saha she was like, oh yeah. And, you know, he made some tweaks and he was like, what about this for the guitar? And then, you know, contributed some of that stuff. And it was like, whoa! So it just did it on its own and it worked out pretty well,
3: what pretty was quickly.
2: The,
1: what was the rest of the band's reaction when you told me you wanted to do this song?
3: I think he, Jimmy was cool with Jimmy it. Jimmy was great with
4: it. He was like, yeah, that's great. Um, you know, she and I were, were the ones that came up with it. And, you know,
3: John
2: wasn't in the band John at that in, moment yeah. so he it was us it was just the three of us yeah. kind of making the choices. Yeah.
4: So it was it, it it was definitely very positive for all of us uh you know from
3: the get go. It was
1: very easy. Well that that being said then you know how much fun was the video for the song to shoot?
2: That was really cool. So that was e- way easier because we had a friend come in and help us shoot it. So it's a dear friend of Jimmy's who helped take the shots for us. And we, you know, we had some pop brownies there, you know, like mm. we just did our thing and we were in, that's our rehearsal space. So we're all very comfortable lighting wise, lighting was there pretty much. Lydia brought some lights and it was just easy, fun. We were done in, was it four hours?
4: It's four hours, and then I had a pile of footage.
2: That was the more difficult part.
4: And then I had to put it together.
2: So (laughs) when we were in Italy, we had shot a segment that was gonna go into this. So it was gonna have a story in addition to the band performance. We edited the band performance first And it took some time to edit the band performance because it's like figuring out what we're saying in the editing. Right. And so we had a concept, Dave worked on it himself. Then I looked over and I was like, some things I was like, ah, some of this needs to be tweaked. I don't know. Rhythmically, I'm not feeling some of the edits here. And so we retweaked some of that stuff. And when we did that, we didn't want to add anything else in there, so we decided to take that footage that, that we shot in Italy. We're holding that; that's going to be used for something else. Um, and we just ran with the band shots. It felt good. I had chills when I when we looked back at it. So that to me was a sign we got this.
4: It, it also shows who we are. Like you know, it's we're, real, we're in our raw. street clothes. We we we're not. You know, it's just who we are, and 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 that was the point of yeah. that. You know, I, I said this before, but there's no CGI. There's no there's no angry metal faces. There's no you know leather outfits. You know, it's it's us in our room playing our instruments on our equipment. You know, with with everything that's ours strewn around. You know.
3: We had
2: some um, influences that we were using, and um, so this is kind of crazy. And this is the first time I'm going to say this publicly. We were we were looking at a few different influences for the video style because we knew we wanted to do it in our rehearsal space. So we started looking at videos where bands were performing in their rehearsal space, like Metallica one, and no doubt, what's the name of the song? Uh, don't, don't don't speak. speak. And then I, because we looked, we kind of looked at our old videos and we said, you know, there's not really a lot of close-up shots of the singing and there's so those close-up shots of the band of performing. we need something with close-up shots. And then of course I was thinking, well, you know, of course the iconic close-up shot is um, Sinead O'Connor. So this was the, that was a huge influence. And while we, had already decided we were going to use that as an influence and when we were in italy she passed and to me i was like "That was a sign again that that needed to be done uh we were connecting to something
4: we had already filmed the footage too
2: it and yeah we had already filmed and the footage.
4: used Sinead's video as one of the inspirations
2: uh, so it was just weird how that had happened serendipitous in a way. And I know and that sounds morbid and weird, but I mean it just like her energy was in already infusing our work. So um yeah, so um so so those were the influences when we shot it. And uh yeah, Sinead's video was the influence for those close-up shots. And I knew I had to really sit in the space, honestly. Because it's not easy to have a camera and lights in your face, you know, um, and, and being able to emote. And I actually sing when we do the videos. I don't lip sync because to me, I, you can see when a person's lip syncing. So I'm singing over the band. I, you can see I have my ears in in the video um, because I'm actually really perf- trying to perform the way we perform when we perform live.
1: Okay, Deval Nation, now here is a special treat. Here is Vajra performing Love is a Battlefield.
5: We are young. Heartache to heartache we stand. No promises, no demands. Both of us knowing. Love is a battlefield. making me
1: been the reaction to the song been like
2: shockingly positive <laughs> it's been really cool uh they just played it on uh sirius xm uh, liquid metal on uh, the corner of covers that got picked up um we've got like interviews that are happening now everything's been really positive and despite the fact that people say that no one pays attention to covers i mean the fans that we've been getting from this song alone are just like, oh my God, should we, I'm like, should we be a cover band? I mean, not seriously, (laughs) really not seriously, but like, it's been, it's been pretty quick and pretty positive and, and pretty awesome. I mean, we just signed with the Pavement records partnership deal, so it's like been really pretty cool um, on that front as well. So um, and we have, you know, we're talking to our agent about booking another tour for early in the in the year mm-hmm. to coordinate with the release of of one of the original songs from this next album. So it's been it's been pretty great, and it feels really good because I was at a point where, you know, when you don't have a release, it's like what are we doing when wow. we're not touring? What are we doing? And why are we doing this? And what's, you know, I don't feel like a musician when I'm not doing it. So I'm I are you, you know, if you're not doing it? So um, I was at a point where I was just like, what do I need? Do we need to really rethink things? And, you know, do we need to go in a completely different direction or do we need to just abandon ship? I mean, all these crazy thoughts are going through my head and we released this and it was just like, well, let's see what happens kind of thing. And. What happens is, Pavement decides they want to sign with us, and then like we get the, you know, all these little nods along the way, um, including the liquid metal thing, and you know, the press and 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 metal injection premiered it. So we're just like, all right, I guess, I guess we'll keep on track <laughs> <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah. It's tough though, you know, it's tough, I and mean, you got to pay your bills, and you know, living in New York City, it's right. like, what are you doing? What are we doing? Right.
1: Well, you mentioned uh, touring, you know, it's like, who are some of the best bands that you've toured with?
2: We just got off uh, with uh, the tour with September morning. That was fun. They were great. They had a really cool show. She's got like a comic book kind of theme and that's uh, infused in the show uh, the way they do. It's very creative and uh, pretty very original. So I thought that was pretty cool and they sounded great. Maybe at the festivals, one of the festivals.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, that's not really a tour, but when no. we have played festivals, we've shared the bill with. We once shared the bill with Lincoln Park. That was
2: that was very inspiring. Backstage awesome. seeing him do push-ups and jumping jacks behind the stage, yeah. that was pretty cool. And then when we played, uh, what's uh, down at Dallas in the the Bomb Factory.
4: Oh, Buck Cherry. Buck Cherry was yeah. really funny. That was funny, completely out we of our wheelhouse.
2: different man <laughs> than we are, you know, like maybe opposite end of the spectrum, but but it was definitely a fun show. So, uh, you know, we've run the gamut. Um right.
1: But yeah, one question I I always like to ask musicians when they come on my show is, you know, what is your fan base like, demographic wise? A lot of dudes.
4: A lot of dudes. There's there's some some some. uh female fans now that are you know
2: yeah it's changing but
4: super fans super fans fans are are interesting
2: Um, it's all over though i have to say it is all over i mean it's in the u.s and it's in europe but um it's in the u.s and europe but eastern is it eastern bloc i mean england eastern bloc germany maybe and sweden Sweden. Well, we toured in Sweden, so I think that's partially why Sweden is there. And we also toured in Germany.
4: Apparently, we have a good presence in Finland, uh, according to uh, the the. Um, we have no
2: idea why, according <laughs> to the uh,
4: the analytics.
2: Rando, so, rando, um, and I think there's a South American country that I don't know if it's Argentina. Venezuelan, is Venezuela. it? Yeah, Argentina or Venezuela something like that that's um there as well they
1: love metal down there
2: so i guess that's why yeah, yeah. so I, I mean it's it's yeah. cool yeah midwest is it's predominant well no no it's not true california new york and then midwest mainly um i'd say but midwest is for rock i mean that's just like completely different when you play shows it's just a totally different animal playing midwest than it is playing new york or california you know where everybody's in the you know watching like this you know
3: <laughs> judging and Wait, waiting waiting, waiting, to say you waiting for it you know it's,
2: oh my god um so you know midwest is totally different ball game it's just great it's really great
1: I do yeah. have one question. You know, um, you have mentioned them now several times. Have you reached out to Tool to see if you guys can be on the bill?
2: Oh my God. No, we have not. But I will tell you this. We just went to the tool show. Danny Carey came up behind us, gave me two picks. Gave me a pick. Looked, somebody said something, turned around, gave me another pick, looked at me. I've like, seen you before. Give me that look. And and it's weird because I have met them a couple of times. I also met them in Madrid. I was at the uh, Prado Museum looking at the Bosch exhibit. This is maybe 2019. I was with my family. I was with my parents. And I knew I wanted to see Bosch because like, whoa, you can see Bosch for real right there. And I was studying these paintings and I looked over and I was like, whoa.
3: That's Danny I don't That's <laughs> So
2: I was like, Oh my God, I'm one of your biggest fans, you know, like, and I started chatting, but I, I didn't have the balls to ask about opening for them. <laughs> it's just like I didn't. So I feel like I keep like circling through like seeing them. And I had met Maynard also many years ago, 2001, 2002. We kind of stayed a, a little bit in contact and then just, no contact now so it's just like i've talked to these guys before but i i didn't have the balls to say anything so no not yet yet yeah. <laughs> i mean it would be pretty amazing
3: well it you work
1: be. with well you work with pavement now maybe something can happen you never know it would be really amazing
2: i mean it would be a dream it would be a, such a dream
1: I can't remember. It was Blonde Redhead opened for uh tool when I saw them and they were a pretty good band. I remember seeing them. What year was that? What tour was that? Two years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what tour tour. I think it was on the new album on the last album they've just put out.
2: Okay. So I think when they came around with in New York, it was the goth, band from the 80s yeah killing joke killing joke. Yeah. Hmm. killing joke i saw that killing joke open for them for that tour it, and they were amazing it was a shame that not many people were in the audience because they were really great
1: yeah same same here too it was like this band uh blonde Reddit. it was everyone was like who is this why are they playing this the show because it was a totally different vibe than a tool concert but i was like this band kicks ass man this like, what a great sound they got you know and uh, I, I, I went home and like bought three of their albums. So you know, great. Yeah. I was like, this, this is, I became an instant fan.
3: So yeah. yeah.
1: I'd ask all my musician guests this next question. And if you want to answer it, great. If not, we can skip it. But what are your opinions on streaming services?
2: You know, it's made our lives a lot more difficult as musicians, from a musician standpoint, um, from a consumer standpoint, I mean, how great is it? It's amazing to have all these different artists at your pocket at, you know, whenever you want, at your back and call. But I'll say as a musician, it's really hurt us. And the fact that we're getting paid 0.003 cents per play really is not a a fair equitable system. Um, You know, something should be done, something needs to be done um, I just don't, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, the cat's out of the bag, so it is what the system is, but I don't think it's been helping us in any way um, at all. And, and you know, the word on the street is just keep producing, release a song every three months and it'll be cool. And that's just not our, that's not our approach. I, I don't think, I think that there are people that can churn stuff out and I think it'll be okay. But I think that there are certain artists that really embed a lot of energy into their work and deliberation into their work, um, where it's just a deeper flower or deeper plant, um, and it reaches people on a different level, and that stuff just takes time. Hmm. So churning stuff out on a regular basis is 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 only good for flash in the pants basically which is the, flash in the pants is cool flash in the pants is great but if you want something deeper it takes a lot more time so it's not realistic and it's not sustainable for artists unless they have a family that can you know fund everything for them and for most of us we don't have that
1: right Yeah, that Gubatan said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger selves. What do you say to them?
2: Follow your heart and do what you really want to do. And trust that you have some information within yourself that is guiding your decisions. Listen to what everybody says, but place different value or different values or different weights on what everybody says, because everyone has their own agenda and their agenda might be positive for you. But you have a certain knowledge about yourself and about what you want to accomplish and maybe need to accomplish in your lifetime that should be uh, fulfilled.
4: Uh, That's a tough one.
2: I
3: would
4: say to my younger self, just believe in yourself and, you know, and any of the people that are, that are, that, you know, attacking you are really attacking themselves, you know, things like that. You know, it's, uh, I think of like high school and, and all the, the bullying and all that kind of crap that, that us young, you know, skinny pimply kids went through. And it's just like, you know what? It's, it's, totally gonna be okay, you know? Okay. Maybe something like that.
1: Good answers. So what's next for Vajra?
2: We are finishing the music on the next album and we are currently in the process of uh, doing the videos, which is driving him, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> driving him crazy. We are planning a tour for early next year as well in coordination with the, another release so it's going to be another extremely busy year for us, hopefully, but all good and exciting. Uh, so back in the saddle.
4: Yeah, I really want to get out there and play. That's so much fun for me, and for all of us. So that's that's definitely in the cards more for next year than we did this year.
3: Right. Yeah.
1: As we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. What do you both like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? <laughs>
4: Well, we like to take pot brownies and go to the cemetery. (laughs)
3: That's
2: true. Actually, that is true. Uh, We do love, we have trees that are friends and we go and sit under these trees and just kind of chill out. And we meditate and we nibble. I like to cook. I like to also do yoga, practice yoga. Um, I make these potions. I also do meditation. I'm a a certified meditation uh, teacher from Dharma moon into bed house. It's a mindfulness meditation. We like to watch movies, art house films, and we like to be creative um, in any way we can. I just started painting with watercolors. I have no idea what I'm doing, but uh, I just started doing that. It just takes me out of my mind. And I like to run and we like to hike um, and just be in nature.
1: Nice, nice. You see any good movies lately?
2: What did we just watch? Uh, we took a break last week because we were doing, you know, I'll be, this is gonna sound ridiculous. We are now not watching a movie, we're watching a series. And, and when I say this, you're gonna like be like, what?
4: We're obsessed.
2: Two things. There's a real estate show selling Sunset, and then there, there's The Crown. And these are two superficial things that we're watching that when we just wanna zone out and watch something stupid, we've been watching um but on a more interesting note um the what's the film the pasolini film that we saw
3: oh yeah um
2: i think it's called pasolini and it's oh who the actor is willem, willem Dafoe. highly recommend this and if you have the movie subscription m-u-b-i that's where you can find it we went through a willem defoe spiral and part of that was because the other film we just recently watched was it, um it
4: was um
2: the one uh, the director Lars von Trier yeah okay. what was it's a trilogy and I'm not going to remember the name off know. the top of my head yeah, we are we're, we're a're Lars, Lars von Trier like addicts yeah. Yeah. so yeah I mean like addicts. he makes girls. amazing so, films. oh my God. oh yeah. my God so this is one of his early films that I've never seen the trilogy. And we also watched the series that is this Twin Peaks kind of series uh, with, the with the hospital.
4: I forgot the name of that.
2: Forgot the name of that. Where is that also on movie?
4: It's These all are all on, on all on movie. We're like obsessed with that channel. It's kind of like an art house film channel. You know, it's very curated with really really good stuff.
2: There's one that we also saw that was banned.
4: Oh, Phalo. Phalo,
2: have you heard about this? I have not. Oh, listen, I mean, seriously, check out these films that we're suggesting because they are like, if you like art house films, if you don't like art house, you're going to be like, what the hell is going on here? I mean, we love Jodorowsky, so it's all along that kind of vein, yeah. completely fantastical,
1: mythological. I'm an, I'm an Aronofsky fan, so trust me, it gets, it gets real. Yeah, I get it.
2: Yeah. Check out this stuff. It's like uh, um, it hits you. Um, and you're like, you feel dirty a little bit after you watch some of this stuff. Yeah. And that's good. <laughs> it provokes. It definitely provokes.
1: What would be the best way for my listeners to follow the band's adventures online?
2: All the links are on our website. And our website is um, vajraofficial.com. And Vajra is spelled V is in Victor, A-J-R-A, official.com.
1: All right. I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth and either one of you can go first.
2: Be kind to one another. And that includes having compassion for experiences that are outside of your own direct experience. I'd like to add and and listen to Vajra, but
4: (laughs) I'm I'm definitely going to say that.
3: Really? (laughs) Um,
4: But yeah, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to mirror that sentiment. I mean, there's, there's so many like, you know, assholes out there that just like love being assholes. Like why do you have to do that? You know?
2: Things might change if, if, if those two sentiments are adhered to but maybe it takes a little more progression in our um, or evolution and a little more balance. And like I said earlier t- with the male and female energies, uh, for that to come to be.
1: Okay. I want to thank you both for teaching me and my listeners about the band and for making me a fan. I wish you both and Vajra, nothing but the absolute best success. And please do come back on the show when your next album is complete. You can come tell us all about it. Okay.
2: Thank you very much for having us. And thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that. Really appreciate that. All
1: right. We'll come Uh, back. (laughs) You better. Okay. We will. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 221. I want to thank Anna Maria and Dave for taking the time to come on the show and speak with me. Seriously, I am now such a big fan of the two of them, and I truly do hope they come back on the show again and we hear more from them. I do love musician guests, folks. They always have the most interesting insights into life. So, Anna, Marie, and Dave, thanks, guys, ever so much for sharing yourselves with us. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. We drop our episodes on Mondays and Thursdays, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for those episodes to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing T Public. The Derek Deval Show has a great little store on there. We have everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t shirts on there that Mrs. Deval and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDaval go to the Banner of the Lettuces merch, click that, and you'll be taking our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, I joined Weight Watchers. That's right. Move over, Oprah. That's right, folks, I'm counting points. Doctor has said I need to get down to 175 pounds, so I'm throwing out the junk food and eating a crap ton of chicken. Chicken is free points, folks. That's right, free points. Nos God bless,
0: and see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvalShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duval Show.